Another blockbuster week in New Zealand politics. Nah, just jokes. We're in top-secret coalition political purgatory, so the week's highlights sound a bit like this. Well, we're all boxed up. Three weeks is a long time, and it's frustrating for everybody. I'm sure colleagues are speaking to each other. As for those coalition chats, we've been sifting through the clues, the tiny breadcrumbs left by the parties in question, to bring you any hint we can of what your next government will look like. Here are some of the key takeaways from National's Chris Luxon. We want to move quickly because we need to turn the country around now. Acts David Seymour. And New Zealand First's Winston Peters who dropped this almighty bombshell. That is of course the sound of tumbleweed rolling across a desert road for those with an untrained ear. I know. It's a lot to process when you're so desperately trying to work out what this new government will mean for you. Kia ora, I'm Toba O'Brien. Welcome to the pod. And don't worry, despite the lack of major political developments, we got you. We have done something better than any of those other silent political players, those, those mimes. After a period of intense, often robust negotiations, which we managed to pull off in just a day or two, we've summoned our very own official-unofficial alternative coalition of National Act and New Zealand First leaders to give you the inside running, the scoop of the tea, or at least the most informed outsider take we could find, on the coalition talks as they stand. Former National Leader Simon Bridges, former ACT Deputy Leader Heather Roy and former New Zealand First Deputy Leader Ron Mark. A powerful panel. But before we head to our new cabinet table, let's get a quick scene-setting explainer from the don of electoral law himself, Professor Andrew Geddes from the University of Otago Faculty of Law. Kia ora, Andrew. Thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, nice to see you again, Toba. Last term, Andrew, we had a 120-seat parliament. Explain why it's 121 this time and why it could get bigger yet. Sure. So because in the run-up to this election, there was the unfortunate death of the ACT Party candidate in the Port Waikato seat, what that meant was the electorate uh, election was cancelled for Port Waikato and a by-election has to be held. That's what the law says. If a candidate dies, you don't have a candidate election. You have to redo the whole thing for that electorate. However, the law also says that the Electoral Commission must continue to distribute 120 seats uh, based on the party votes that have been held and the other electorate votes that have been held on election day. So the Electoral Commission will, after the special votes come in, distribute 120 seats, as is required by law, then, November the 25th, uh, we will have the Port Waikato by-election, which will add another seat into the House. So next, uh, the next parliament will be at least 121 seats. And how is Te Pāti Māori factoring into that as well? So also at the moment, uh, Te Pāti Māori has won four electorates. Its share of the party vote on the uh, election night votes only entitled it to three seats. So that creates what's called an overhang. I mean, you can't take one of its electorates off it. It's won that electorate. So what that means is that uh, that extra seat becomes, again, another extra seat to get it added onto the House. Now, with the specials, that may change in a couple of ways. One is that Te Pāti Māori's party vote might come up. So it's entitled to four seats, the four electorate seats it's won. That would get rid of the overhang. 
but also the special votes may deliver to Party Māori another couple of electorates. At the moment, they're very narrowly behind Labour and a couple of the Māori electorates. Because the special votes tend to favour to Party Māori, it could win enough votes in those electorates to win them. And if that happened, there may be a even bigger overhang. So it's we could have a parliament of anywhere from 121 to 123 to 124, depending on what the specials do and to Party Māori overhang. And the more seats, say, to Party Māori gets, or the, the greater the overhang because of them, the more difficult things become for National and Act, right? So they have 61 seats between them now, just yep. enough to, to form a government in the current 121 seat set yep. up. And if Port Waikato goes the way it's expected to, that's 62 seats, say, in a 122-seat parliament. So it still holds that sliver of a majority. But right. what happens when the specials are counted in terms of how those seats have bounced around traditionally? Yeah. So here we have to go on what we've seen in the past. Um, so in the past, in the last two elections, uh, the special votes have tended to favour the parties of the left, which means that the parties of the left do better, they get more seats out of it. So the last two elections have seen the National Party lose two seats on its election night results, with those seats going variously between Labour, the Green Party, and Te Pāti Māori. If the past is prologue, if we see the same thing happen this time again, that could see National lose a couple of seats. I mean, on your numbers, it would bring National and ACT together down to 60. Add a couple of seats to the left parties, that actually won't help them all that much. They're still not going to have enough to govern, but it brings New Zealand first in the mix. Then ACT and uh, National would have to rely on New Zealand first to form a government. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So Winston Peters will essentially hold the ace, right? So say if it's not yeah. even as emphatic as it was in 2020 or 2017, National and ACT only lose only lose one seat. There is a world in which the right has 61 and the rest of the parties have 61. National and ACT need New Zealand first to get across the line. Yep. So Winston holds all the aces again. He does. But he also faces the problem that he's only got one option now, right? You're an experienced political commentator. I mean, do you think there's any world in which New Zealand First could go with Labour to Party Māori and the Greens to form a four-headed tight? I mean, it just doesn't seem politically possible. No. So Winston's one option is make a deal with National and Act or make no deal at all. And if in the world you've talked about where it's, you know, 61-61 or he's needed... No deal at all means a new election. That's the only possibility. So really, he has to make a deal with National and Act if he wants any sort of government at all. So his options are more limited than they were back in 2017 because he can't play both sides. That said, National and Act need him. If they don't have a majority themselves, then the deal that's made, he's got a much stronger hand in that deal. And so that really is, I think, the most likely thing coming out of the specials. Is he needed? And if he is, what strength does that give him in his negotiation with National and Act? Because even if it's one seat, isn't it? And Winston Peters, we should point out as well that Winston Peters, when National started raising the prospect of the second election, if people voted for Winston Peters, uh, Peters ruled that out as, as kind of fear-mongering from the Nats. But even if there's just one seat in it, he really holds. Like, it's, it's quite an immense, powerful position he's in, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you need to put together... A majority. And if he's the party that decides what that majority is, then yes, he does. Now, of course, again, 
he does face this problem that if he doesn't do a deal, if he doesn't you know, make the deal, then he is the man responsible for causing chaos and requiring a new election. And in that case, I think he'd be obliterated. Totally. He has power, but you know, he's, he can't push it all the way. And so it'll be interesting to see exactly where they meet. Yeah, become a political persona non grata. Though Winston Peters also has a canny ability to blame other people for things that perhaps he has perceived himself. Or they could see what's fault somehow or something like that. Precisely. Andrew, it is always such a joy speaking to you. I could do it for hours, but I'll let you get back to your busy day. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tobin. Nice to talk to you. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it has been crickets from the parties holding top-secret coalition talks. National Act and New Zealand First are giving nothing away. The public and the media don't even have the parlour games of yore to feast on. The talks haven't been held on the hallowed grounds of Parliament, where pizza-ordering journalists have traditionally waited for hours and hours and hours of stakeouts, waiting in the hope of a, a wink or a nudge or any sign of who's talking to who. It's like democracy has gone radio silent after the frenzy of October 14th and its lead up. But who needs him? We don't. We don't need Chris Luxon. We don't need David Seymour. We don't need Winston Peters to tell us what's what. We have formed our own alternative coalition, a national act and New Zealand first coalition of former MPs to enlighten us as to what on earth will have been going on these last two and a half weeks, where things will likely end up and what some of the pressure points could be. We should note they are all out of central government politics. They don't represent the views of their respective former parties anymore, but they do know what's what. Please welcome former National Party leader and minister Simon Bridges, former ACT Party deputy leader and minister Heather Roy, and former New Zealand First MP and minister Ron Mark. Kia ora koto. Welcome. Kia ora. Kia ora, Jane. All right, let's get this party started. Can we start with a, a round robin? Your predictions for the final makeup of Parliament once the specials have been counted and taking into account the Port Waikato by-election, will Winston Peters be holding the cards? Starting with you, Simon. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's all probables, isn't it? But I think in the end, every election we've ever had, the centre-right goes down. Um, yep, you can absolutely construct some credible reasons why that might not hear overseas voters people annoyed all sorts of things but i think on the cards that's likely and look in any event i think um if you were a sitting in chris luxon and co's shoes you'd want three parties in government you'd want to buffer uh and so you know I, I think the most likely scenario in any kind of scenario from here on in is three parties uh in government Okay, Heather, what do you think? Yes, I, I broadly agree with Simon. I think that um, I was part of the 2008 negotiations and 
National and ACT were easily able to form a government then, a little more easily than the current situation. Uh, but John Key was very keen to bring the Maori Party into that government uh, and where they had two ministers. And that was so that that buffer was there. Um, it also meant that uh, the ACT Party couldn't exert too much influence because there was a third party there to help. And so there's all sorts of advantages to the larger party um, in doing that. I think we will see three parties engaged in government. But whether the two smaller parties will both be giving supply and confidence or not, I'm not sure. I think that's that's a question mark for me. Dana, just very briefly to add to what, don't discount a minority government. All right, Ron, what do you think? Yeah, I think the balance of responsibility is going to fall down to two parties. It'll be ACT and it'll be New Zealand first. So it's going to be a question of what do they both want and what do they both see as doable or not doable. And um, this is very much as much in the hands of ACT as it is as as New Zealand first, um, it, you know, Act's got to agree that this seem to people seem to think it's a given because there's been so much talk about that. But um, they've got to agree, so that they are an important decision maker at this point in time. But I think, um, you know, the, the, the comment about moderating the influences of minor parties is one that I know is not lost on National. They didn't just do a deal with um, the Maori Party back in 2008. John Key, astonishingly did a deal with every political party that was in the House except Labour. And he totally marginalised Labour, who had just been decimated in an election in the same situation as there is. And now the difference being that the Maori Party doesn't want to deal with anybody. The United Future's not there. And the Greens, for whatever reason, have decided to ostracise themselves out of any possibility of forming a government with anyone on the centre-right, quite unlike what happened in 2008 when they signed a memorandum of understanding and got some healthy home stuff and got some cycleways and a bunch of other stuff. You know, they talk about being wanting to be in the tent, but they actually don't. <laughs> people on the outside this time kicking people around. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past Christopher Luxon not to extend an olive branch to the Greens. I'm not sure that it would be accepted. But we know that climate change is a really important topic for New Zealanders, and he will want to be seen to be taking that seriously. So that's a possibility too. And I think I think Ron makes a really crucial point, just succinctly, because it's probably the point that's been lost in the media at the state. ACT is incredibly important in this. I think there's a sense that, oh, they just have to go with their... And, no, they campaigned on real change. They will drive a hard bargain, more than New Zealand first even possibly, because there's a sense they got more votes and, and they're not going to go into this lightly. There's something to be said, though, isn't there? When you are the person that holds the balance of power, your power is immense, and that could be the position that New Zealand First is very likely in. Simon, how hard do you think this is going to be for Christopher Luxon to, to wrangle those three parties, National Act and, and New Zealand First, in the tent? I think it's got the confidence to do it, but I, but I think, you know, let's just not underestimate. I think it's a sense in, out there that, oh, it's all going to come together. It's going to be nice. It, it might not. Where's that sense? I haven't seen that sense. <laughs> I've seen the sense of the, the fear and loathing and, um, and being you know, I just sort of think, oh, well, they won. And it's all going to be. But you've got to think about this psychologically. Nationals in the position of wanting to get on with it. They feel like they won. They want to be the government. And so how can we do this quite quickly? And the other guys will fall into line. And, and maybe I'm being hemming there up a bit. There's a bit of that from them. Then New Zealand first. You know, um, Ron, of course, knows Winston, Shane and Co. much better than I do. But but I know them fair amount. And I think rightly so. For, for Winston, it's about legacy. So there's perhaps a sense of responsibility there that people don't give them credit for, but they will want portfolios. We know their style and their form. They want to be in government. They want portfolios, plural. And then I've already said it around ACT. 
real change, right? So they are not going into something where they feel like it's it's in the end just going to be this merely mouth mediocre thing. And they will drive a bargain that says we get more than Winston. And rightly so, actually, because they did get more votes than uh, New Zealand First. And yeah. that could very well be the, the differential, right? Like ACT and David Seymour has made a real big play. We don't want the baubles. It's not about the roles so much for us. It is about getting those big policy gains, whereas New Zealand First, we have seen historically kind of going for those those big ticket um, well, well, no. and policy areas. <laughs> a few former defence ministers on Ron Mark for one moment. So. Some big military planes and things we needed, Ron. Yeah, no, but in 2000 and when we did the deal, 2005, when we did the deal with Alan Clark, I didn't ask for a ministerial portfolio, nor did anyone else. We sat outside of government, and Winston had an associate ministry. Or he had the Minister of Foreign Affairs outside of government. And I will tell you straight, in the last coalition negotiations, National offered more ministerial posts plus. In I can confirm that. Yes. And <laughs> to say New Zealand first is Some of us were flinching. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. And I know that there's a lot of, um, you know, there's still a lot of gaping wounds on, on that front. But we'll get to that in a moment. Heather, David Seymour told us as recently as, as five weeks ago when he was on the pod that he thinks Winston Peters is the least trustworthy person in New Zealand politics. How tricky is it when coalition partners don't just dislike or disrespect each other, but appear to outright hate each other's guts? Uh, I think hate's a very strong word, but I think that he's very sincere when he says that Winston is untrustworthy, and there's plenty of evidence to support that. Ron will probably shoot me down in flames, but there is plenty to support that. And we don't need to go back any further than last week with the tweeting um, the tweeting experience to support that. Uh, and, you know, the media have been all over that and saying what he said was just not true. So I think that that does add a significant complication. And I think David Seymour was absolutely sincere when he said he won't sit around a cabinet table with Winston Peters. So that means other options need to be looked at in terms of what the makeup of government um, does look like. It looks like one party will have to be outside cabinet and another may be inside. Ron, do you want to respond to that and also perhaps build in there as well? I think, you know, Winston Peters is renowned as um, someone who's pretty pretty darn good at holding a political grudge. Do you think that David Seymour's going to regret calling him, him names? Do you think Chris Luxon could? I can tell you that those comments um, have an effect, but I can also tell you that he forgave Jim Bolger and he put it aside. And I have to say, there were members of that National Party team who he had, had fought strongly against inside the National Party caucus, and he moved on beyond that. Then we tried to make everything work, and the, the the instability there was when those grumpy National Party people who didn't like us getting nine portfolios, which Natural gave us, um, colluded with Jenny Shipley and rolled Jim Bolter, and that changed the whole picture. You know, the tweet thing, I, could, I, I would have put that tweet differently to Winston. It doesn't mean to say it's not true. That Why? No, no, did he just forget? There is something that is different for the Prime Minister to tell the media something in a short clip to what she didn't tell us in in Cabinet. She never said that they got the email nine months early. She never said that they dismissed it as a prank and a hoaxer and an idiot or whatever. She never told us any of that. Let me elegantly move this on. I think actually if you stand back, Toba, and you look at Act in New Zealand first, here's the underlying big picture issue. 
are actually more similar politically and in policy terms than they like to admit. You know, whether it's the so-called Maorification, whether it's the anti-woke policies, whether it's a raft of other things. So that, that actually makes this more difficult than when you're dealing with chalk and cheese, because what it means is you are you are logically, structurally, emotionally competitors, right? And so to make competitors in the race, friends, that that is, so yep, words, sticks and stones may break my bones, words never hurt me. The words don't help. And Winston does have a memory like an elephant and, you know, and, and that David Seymour will, will at a level too. Uh, but the real issue here is they're fighting for the same votes. Yeah, I mean, yes and yes and no. And we'll talk more about some of those policy areas of commonality. But also New Zealand, first part of its, its kind of, its foundation was in contrast to the what Winston Peters called the neoliberal experiment. It's, that Economically, there's big differences. Yeah, that's the difference. But on everything else, there's a lot of similarity. On the, that's why I wrote approval in 1997-98, took me up to his office and said, Ron, join ACT. You're one of us. Have my office. And, and we laughed about it and joked about it, but the similarity, and Simon's absolutely right, the similarity on firearms policy, law and order policy, Māori, Māori issues is virtually, I often got it accused of being an ACT MP. So he's right. The difference... Not on the economic front, quite different. That's exactly right, Heather. It's the economic yeah. sovereignty, it's the state uh, sale to foreigners of state assets, those things that Richard was really good at. But look, at its heart, ACT is a Liberal Party and New Zealand First is a Conservative Party. And so when it comes to personal liberties, the two parties are poles apart. That's all, that's all great, but actually they're fighting over middle on, over ground on Maorification. Oh, no, I'm not saying there's no similarity, Simon. Yeah. Back on, back on the baubles, um, Heather, do you think at the very least, if National Act do need, need New Zealand First, will David Seymour have to give up that, that deputy... Prime Minister Roll. Oh look, David Seymour has said himself that he's not he is not in politics to be Deputy Prime Minister. He's in politics to make significant real change. The whole campaign was founded on real change for New Zealand. And I think uh, he would be prepared to forego that if it meant that he got significant policy um, initiatives in place. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind about that. And Simon, when you were the National Party leader, and I, I remember it well, you ruled out working with Winston Peters if you were to form a government. Do you think that Christopher Lutzen should have done the same? I can mean, these things are, I don't want to say pure politics, you're, you're assessing other things. But, well, it forms, but the, that, it forms the makeup of, of the government, right? So That was a, my judgment as in terms of the best, surest path to power. Um, I, I, I've said before, I'm, rec I'm record saying on election night, I said again, I think, look, um, one thing that National didn't cover itself in glory on was its policy around New Zealand First. Bluntly speaking, get a strategy at the start of the year and stick to it, and then they didn't. They didn't do that, and so you know, I, I think that was a tactical, strategical, what do you call it, whatever you want, but mistake by National Election Code. I'm not saying they necessarily should have ruled them out, but they should have had a line, and as I say, stuck to it. And going back to your respective roles in um, previous coalition negotiations, that the roles that each of you played or the knowledge that you hold about those past negotiations, Ron, I'll start with you because you were a New Zealand First MP all three times that Winston Peters was kingmaker or New Zealand First was kingmaker and struck those deals in 2017. You were there in the room for every negotiation meeting. You were right in there. What, what should people know? 
Well, they should know that, and I think I'll come back to here this point, that policy matters. Mm-hmm. Policy and and gaining from those conversations and negotiations, discussions, whether they're formal across the table, whether they are over a meal or whether they're off to one side uh, having a coffee or a, or a wine somewhere. Diet Pepsi or whatever it is that he drinks. Yeah, those discussions will either give people confidence that they can work with this person going forward, that they can trust them, keep their word, keep their and and that their party is stable. There's not any leadership coups sniffing around in the wind. And and you've got to establish that relationship. Chris Luxon's I think has said it quite well. He said it's about forming relationships. And any negotiation, any merger, any amalgamation, and I'm dealing with the wire I'm trying to get an amalgamation going here, but but they are absolutely dependent on the quality of the relationship established to whether the people have confidence they can work together respectfully and stick to their word going through and handle the rough stuff. Because when the rough stuff hits and you're losing MPs and you're losing ministers, you've got to be confident that the team's going to stay together and that they're going to sit down and talk the same way when those issues come up as they are during the coalition negotiations. Which, which I suppose is another argument for bringing New Zealand first into the tent, even if you don't necessarily need them, because if you've just got a one-seat, very slim majority and someone does something bad, and we know that MPs do have form in that regard, all of you can attest to that from your various parties, um, you're going to want to have that insurance plan. Just while we're on that, Ron, is there anything that you know about that conversation that Winston Peters now says was the reason New Zealand First went with Labour, that Bill English told him there was going to be this coup that English could be about to get rolled? Did you know about that conversation at the time? Our team just watched their team. Simple. Now, I think Simon's quite right. There's a lot of stuff happens after hours and, you know, we'll have beers with Mark Mitchell. We'll have beers with a whole bunch of people. Simon, did you know anything about that conversation that Winston Peters is now is now saying led to the downfall of the 2017, the no, prospect I, of the coalition with the No, National? no, I didn't. I mean, I, look, I was in Bill English's kitchen cabinet, but I was a bit player in the negotiations, really. I was only being consulted. I mean, I think, I think what I'd say, though, about that one and this one, look, Ron makes another good point. What Luxon is saying is is right. The relationship stuff does matter. I think it's interesting. You know, he said dinner with Winston Peters in their home. That's quite telling. But he shouldn't take David Seymour for granted if he's doing that. And so he's got that delicate sort of tightrope walk to, to balance things between those two. You know, very strong, opinionated, um, egotistical, because we all are in politics, uh, leaders. Because we don't even know if no one will tell us whether David Seymour and Winston Peters are even having conversations if, if either of them have picked up the blower yet to the other. Do you guys think that they would have? No. Simon Bridges, you don't think Winston Peters and David Seymour would have had a chat yet? I don't think there's pretty much chance of that. I don't think so either. Why is that? We weren't talking to the Maori Party or um, United Future during the 2008 negotiations. I don't see any reason that they would be. I can say that on the in history, looking at history, um, when we were negotiating in 1996, we were very clear, and Winston was very clear, that it was up to Helen Clark mm. to get arranged with the Alliance Party. And in 2017, it was up to um, Jacinda to get an arrangement um, mm. with the Green Party. And that happened. And we never interfered in their negotiations. At the end of the day, we got to see what they were after. And Mm. Part of the deal. Simon, what calculations would the Nats have been doing before picking up the phone in terms of hedging bets? And this is bearing in mind that they don't yet know the final results of, of the election campaign. Would they be offering up big stuff yet? What, what, where would the conversations be at at this point? 
I obviously I don't know for sure, but I, I doubt it. I think I think what will be happening right now is the mood music, if you like. I mean, they'll be going into this. It will be, as Chris Lutz is saying, very relational. I'm not saying they're not making progress. They probably are talking policy. There's, you know, quite a few meetings with ACT. Quite exactly sure how it's running with New Zealand First. It's perhaps more, you know, intimate, as, as say, with her dinner. So I think until they get those final results, it's a bit harder to get to the nitty-gritty of the right chaps this means this many portfolios and these are the ones we want and that's where here's another important point that's possibly not out there as strong as it should be this could still take a while some are national are still pretty optimistic no it could come together quite quickly i i just think it could take a while i don't think there's anything wrong with that actually um i i wouldn't be surprised if there's another week and a half maybe even more right. post friday for this to all come together, that's that's understandable. They don't know the result until then. No, Chris Luxon was saying saying on uh, Wednesday morning this week that he thought it would, or hoped at least, that it would all be wrapped up by the end of next week. And David, it's not overlooked. I mean, with a lot of focus on whether ACT and New Zealand First and Winston and David can work together. Um, I don't know if you've been watching the debates in the House over the last three years with ACT assuming itself to be the leader of the opposition and embarrassing National and hurting National. I mean, there's a lot of scars being carried by certain National Party MPs who resent the way they were treated by ACT over the last three years. And I think there's, got, there's as much bridge building between David and, and the back benches of the National Party as you're suggesting might be done between Winston and David, I think Winston and David is probably going to be the easier one because they can shake hands and go to their corners. Goodness, we'll see. <laughs> Let's talk about policy. We know that there are several areas of commonality between the three parties, cutting cutting government spending, getting rid of the Māori Health Authority, Auckland Light Rail. Uh, there's some areas of consensus around welfare, crime, prisons, RMA, some areas in, in education. Heather, would those areas of agreement or consensus or broad agreement really be the first point of order for negotiations? Absolutely. Start with the easy stuff and then work on the harder stuff. What's after the last that, thing they're doing? <laughs> um, uh, a referendum. A referendum on the treaty will be a hard one, I think. Um, it'll be really interesting to see where that lands. I think that um, David Simmons feels really strongly about it. Um, others have already ruled that out, so that that's one area. But no, I think so. And law and order, um, you know, it, all three parties were saying virtually the same thing. I think we'll see three strikes back. But what I do hope we'll see is some legacy building. You know, it's easy to tinker when you're in government, much, much harder to make the significant change, the real change that David Seymour was talking about, leave a legacy that actually makes a lasting difference for New Zealanders. And I think that there will be some discussions probably stimulated by the ACT Party about how they can make real change that will stick, not that just can't be changed next time there's a change of government. Simon, what are your predictions? I think actually this whole thing's going to take a lot longer um, to get substantive reforms, right? Yep, they'll be able to repeal a few things. But even that, you've got to go through a policy process in Cabinet. You've then got to, um, you know, have PCO draft the laws. They have limited resources. This is not going to be like we sometimes hear a little bit from Chris Lux and, you know, for January we'll be just smashing it through. It's going to take longer. Especially for voters to start feeling the impact of some of those policy changes, be it um, a repeal or a, or a new... And I'm talking about the easy program. stuff. Yeah. 
And those just on a couple of those policy sticking points as well, what happens to Nationals tax cuts, Ron? Will New Zealand first, I mean, will they really let foreign buyers back into the country, but also uh, Winston Peters, Shane Jones both raise concerns about how inflationary they could be? Well, they're probably indicators that um, sitting outside of government is, is still an option. And they're probably indicators that, you know, it depends on how the conversations around that goes as to why supply and confidence might be, you know, a, a palatable option. So there are, there are different forms of government. You can have minority government. You can have a coalition government with three parties. You can have uh, a, a party given supply and confidence sitting outside. Or you can have the party saying, yeah, no, nah, we'll just get the opposition and Labor's not going to be an effective opposition. We might as well be that voice for the people and we'll, and we'll still support you on things that we that are in line with our policy. But at least it's free to vote against. So that's probably why um, having three parties is an advantage uh, in some ways, but also a disadvantage in the other. But again, it comes out. I think the key thing, the, the thing I'm liking in the conversation today is, as Simon pointing out, that these things could take longer. And, you know, we've been allowed ourselves to beat up the politicians of the time saying, you've got to make a decision. You've got to form a government. The country's waiting. The public needs to know. Well, actually, around here, people said, we got what we wanted, change. Go and sort is, it out. Is there a chance, Heather, that a, a party with within that dynamic, that three-party dynamic, a party with the power of, of New Zealand First and Winston Peters could seriously derail the central economic policy of the biggest political policy, the, the tax cuts? Is there any chance that, I'm you know, looking at some comments here from Winston Peters, that Nationals tax cut package is both not credible nor reconcilable with the spending... Oh, I think there's always that possibility, and with Winston, anything is possible. But um, I think with tax cuts, I think remember that pre after the preview, David Seymour revised his alternative budget, and he himself was saying that uh, he didn't believe that tax cuts were as possible as he had originally thought, and he was accusing uh, National at pre-election of them being inflationary. So I think there's a lot of discussion going to be going on, not just with New Zealand first, but with ACT as well. Simon, do you a prediction on the tax relief. I, I think there will be tax relief package. I just think, in truth, it's not about either of the minor parties being awkward. And the reality is the funding mechanisms for it were realistic. And so uh, it will have to be funded in a different um, way. Hmm. I think Ron makes a really good point. Think You've always got to put yourself in the other guy's shoes. And for David Seymour and Winston Peters, don't get me wrong, I've already said and I believe the most likely scenario here is a three-party government. But what we know from about minor parties or third parties or whatever they like to call themselves is they get decimated in government. And so if you're taking a look to 2026, the safer option, I'm not suggesting the one we get, is to sit out and be the opposition that, frankly, Labour Greens and to party Maori aren't going to be particularly good at as they squabble over on the far left. Okay, one final question for all of you. Has anyone got... FOMO, is anyone wishing that they were still in the mix right now? <laughs> nah, not really. It missed it, it yeah. the adrenaline, but um, objectively it's a sort of a job and uh, they, we go to watch them all get older and greyer and fatter before <laughs> our eyes. Or they say politics is showbiz for ugly people. Yeah, no, I, I don't still wish I was there. It's great being um, having the ability to commentate as we are now, but um, I think that you go to Parliament to to do what you do, make a difference, and then it's right and proper that new people come in with fresh ideas, fresh sets of eyes, and that's a healthy situation. Ron, I'm comfortable that you know I got I nailed in my short 
period of time as a minister, some massive legacy policies that are standing, uh, that will stand this country in good stead for a very long, long time to come. All right. Well, it, it feels fitting that we end on a, a kind of Ron Mark humble brag as well. Thank you guys so much for your time. And I think that our unofficial coalition is way cooler anyway. So don't even worry about those guys. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tava. Thank you. Thanks, See you. Many journalists over many decades who have both shared a drink with Winston Peters and felt the full force of his fury can attest to the importance he places on relationships and respect. So what Ron Mark said there about forming relationships is 100% on point when it comes to the success and stability of our next government, assuming New Zealand First is a part of it. This early stage of coalition talks is about feeling out whether the parties can have confidence they can work together respectfully, that they'll stick to their word and critically stay together through the rough stuff. Some of those same aforementioned journalists will also be able to tell you about the resentment that can follow when it's perceived that either the relationship or the respect has faltered. So what Ron said when asked if David Seymour would come to regret calling Winston Peters' names, untrustworthy, a clown, etc, etc, that's also 100% on point. Sure, Peters may be able to forgive in time, as Ron said he did with Jim Bolger, but in the time before the forgiveness, you can be damn sure you'll know about it if you're on the shit list. Ron also made the point, it's not just the relationship and respect between Peters and Seymour, but those held between ACT and National Proper as well. Over the last couple of terms, ACT effectively self-selected as the leadership of the opposition, and fair enough too, when National was eating itself alive. Ron says there are a lot of scars carried by certain National MPs who resent the way they were treated by ACT, and that bridges need to be built across the backbenches too. Ah, old-fashioned politics. So much to love. So much to loathe. When you get close to Peters and his inner circle, you hear a lot about chivalry, gentlemen's agreements, honour, tradition, history, sometimes history that is even rewritten or recontextualised right before your very eyes. And this is what Christopher Luxon will be going through right now. It won't be steeped in the fine whiskey that was the hallmark of Peter's relationship with Jim Bolger in 1996, nor the appreciation that Peter's and Jacinda Ardern shared for single malt in 2017. In fact, it's hard to imagine the dinner table carafe on the night that Christopher Luxon and his wife Amanda Luxon visited Peter's and his partner at their home for their post-election meal. It certainly would not have been filled with a leggy, aerated Pepsi Cola, Luxon's drink of choice a six-a-day habit at its peak. But Luxon understands the game well enough. He understands Peter's role within it. He doesn't, however, understand the game as well as Seymour. And as Simon Bridges pointed out, any sense that ACT will just roll over and go with whatever New Zealand First dictates is wrong. ACT campaigned on real change. They'll probably drive a harder bargain than New Zealand First because simple maths, they got more votes, and they're not going to accept some mealy-mouthed mediocre platitude. And, as Heather Roy pointed out, Winston Peters done gone shot himself in the foot spectacularly during this, his fourth rodeo, tweeting last week that, quote, we waited until today to find out for the first time that the PM's office received information about the March 15 terrorist attack before the massacre took place. When, actually... We had learned that information at a press conference with Jacinda Ardern just two days after the terror attack. Heather thinks Seymour was absolutely sincere when he said he won't sit around a cabinet table with Peters. 
So one party will be inside the cabinet around the big donut-shaped table. The other will have to put up with sitting outside. And if you sit outside, the relationships obviously aren't as solid. They don't necessarily hold up as well when the rough times inevitably follow. The upshot is, for relative political novice Christopher Luxon, this is a lot to navigate, not just in the month or so after the election, but in the three years that follow. Three years is 156 weeks. A week is a long time in politics. 156 weeks. Ouch. Good luck to you, good sir. That was my take, and I am always interested to hear your thoughts as well. You can email me, tova at stuff.co.nz, whether you agree, disagree, or have a story or interview idea, I'd love to hear from you. We want this pod to tell the stories you care about. So tell us, what matters to you? Our feedback segment will be back next week. Worth noting that we've put all our regular segments on ice while we're in this weird political holding pattern, but Andrea Vance and Luke Malpass will also be back with us next week following a very well-earned post-campaign podcast rest. You've been listening to Tova, hosted and produced by me, Tova O'Brien. There's a new episode every Thursday and you can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash Tova or wherever you get your podcasts. If you follow us on your favourite podcast app, you'll get the latest episode automatically and keep an eye on the feed for bonus shortcasts. Thanks to audio editor extraordinaire Connor Scott and executive producer extraordinaire Chris Reed. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. A week is a long time in politics. Anything could happen. We got you. Kakite. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.